Sounds like AudioCrisp. This is the North End. This is the North End. Welcome to the North End Podcast, where three Canadians and an Englishman talk about English soccer. I am blessed, blessed with Mr. Luke Connolly. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you, sir. How are you? I'm uh, I'm relaxed. I'm feeling pretty good at the moment. I've just been away uh, for the first time, and I was in a pool for four or five hours each day for the last two days, just chilling out and uh, relaxing. It's been great. Yeah, you very zen. Very What's zen. that? Sorry? You've got a very zen look on your I on feel your zen, man. I got yeah. like sun. I'm like, yeah, I'm chill. I'm super chill. Um, it's good. It's not. It's nice considering where we are. It was It was something that uh, was long overdue. Um, Polly, how about yourself, man? How you doing? Dark words for dark days. <laughs> I'm this in like a totally different vibe right now. This is not a, not a good time. Not a good world. 2020 just keeps on fucking keeps on over. keeping on, doesn't it? Yeah, it is a it is a shit show. I mean, it was nice to just not look at anything or see anything. You know, I put my phone on the table beside the pool, just sat in the yeah. pool. I mean, you didn't talk. have to see any fucking celebrations from Klopp's home. None of that. And I didn't get, yeah, I didn't get to experience any of the Liverpool annoyance. Although I did a little bit cause I was super curious, but I, I did it. mostly avoided it. Awful. Yeah. I, like I, obviously the Aston Villa guy is suffering more than the United guy, but the idea that Liverpool are now champions officially, yeah, and and we all know well deserved champions. I mean, I've been I've been I had a little bit of fun with the uh, obviously with the, the the fantasy football chat that we're in on the WhatsApp about the the, the asterisks. Um, it's more of a joke than anything else because obviously I recognize that they were far far better than everybody else in the league this year, but it's still uh, it's still funny because it's Liverpool. Did you guys see the uh, the celebrations that came out of Liverpool um, the night of and and then into oh, the morning? Of madness, shambles. Oh, it was incredible. But I will say one thing, you know, people were very quick to hop on it. And there's a couple of uh, the, the big meme pages, like uh, I think bench warmers are a big one. They compl- they started putting up all kinds of posts about how disgraceful it was and how, you know, the, all the, the rubbish and mess that had left. Well, two hours later, it was totally cleaned. The council must have known, like the Liverpool council must have been like, it's going to be a shit show. So they must have been like, they had it all prepared. Day. Yeah. They, they, had, morning. they had three to four months to prepare for it. Of course, but they yeah, didn't. Yeah. That's okay. It's, it's it's government. When would government prepare in advance? That's ridiculous. Yeah, maybe, maybe after a pandemic, maybe they realize, maybe we should be more prepared about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just saying, it could have happened. It's possible. I mean, they must have been preparing for it for a while, knowing that Liverpool were going to win. But did they not try to burn down like the gov- like a government building or some shit like that as well? I thought I saw that. They fired <laughs> some fireworks at a building that's a split between right. Everton so was- Blue and Liverpool Red. So they fired the fireworks up into the blue part of the building. Oh, so that was like the, uh, the stupid sort of, you know, yeah. uh, Headline that you see that you kind of go that yeah that's some serious yeah. bit you got going on there right? but it's like it, if Toronto ever won the Stanley Cup the CN Tower would be blue yeah of course because why wouldn't it so that building should have been like you know what for tonight let's turn the blue lights we're gonna make red. a red yeah yeah, yeah I agree. let's not antagonize the thousands of drunks on the street <laughs> yeah for no. sure it's more well, fun to antagonize them see what happens are you guys uh, you guys want to get into the scores then from uh, the previous week yeah we should uh, yeah. we should do that let's and do it up there Luke. In the absence of uh, David Condry the, the second, I shout, uh, shout out to Connie by the way. There's lots of love with and uh, to his buddy's uh, um, family as well. 
for sure. Okay, we'll start uh, with a, a pretty un, unex, uh, unexciting and uninspiring game with uh, Leicester Brighton 0-0. I don't know if you boys saw that game, but really uh, a quick chat. I think, would it be fair to say wheels are falling off a little bit at Leicester or, or is that a bit too, 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 too harsh? I think it's probably pretty fair. I don't see them creating anywhere close to the same level of opportunities you need to create to have a bit of a run with the number of games they have left. I, I just thought they are okay, but Brighton just kind of held back and sat back. And it was, yeah, it, the, the formula to beat Leicester right now is kind of just sit back. They're not really that good at unlocking defense, um, whether or not they're clicking on all their gears yet, or if Rogers doesn't have them playing the way he wants them to play. But uh, I just, I think there's probably enough that we can see from their performances now to suspect that they may have a hard time finishing in the top four. Yeah, I just want to throw it. I think before this, the restart, I sp- specifically said when we talked about who was going to finish in the top four, that Leicester would likely f- drop out of that top four, or they they would be more likely than some of the other teams, because I think the comfort level that they felt like they were at um, going into it with the eight, I think it was eight points above uh, Chelsea at the, at the time. I, what's it reduced to now? I mean, it's it's got to be getting pretty close to them being in fourth. If the if it's, or I, I forget, I have to look at the table real quick. But um, to me, I think Leicester are in that in that bad position of feeling like they're comfortable, more comfortable than they should be. And they're playing like that. They, they don't look like they've got a lot of energy. They, I mean, they're, they're, they're having looked like they're having full training all the time rather than actually playing at full tilt. Um, maybe they can step up a notch and get their form back, but the, it's a difficult thing to do with sh- such a short period of time. And like this sort of tournament style thing we've got going on. Yeah, I think, uh, Paul, you probably looked it up, but just to give you a heads up, Brian, Leicester are currently sat on 55 points with a, not really a game, out there, 31 games played. Right, Chelsea, it's four-point difference. Fourth yeah. with 54 oh, amount of One games, and Wolves with 52 with an, an extra game played. So they're still there. Um, they would they're right to, back in the mix, though, right? Like now that they've, right they've, the they've allowed themselves to drop. Had they won one game, maybe in a draw, they instead of losing, or sorry, drawing both games, that it's just a lot of points dropped, I think, for a team that kind of needs to maintain a, a level to stay in that position. But I mean, they still are likely to finish in the top five, but it's hard to say where I'll end up. It's tough. They have a, they have a lot of um, games coming up that will, I mean, our direct competition for that fifth spot, Tottenham, Sheffield United, um, Arsenal, I'm sure haven't quite given up on some sort of European position. So they'll be difficult. Uh, Everton seem to be the kind of team that can run ragged. If you want Crystal Palace have got a decent form um, until recently. So they don't necessarily have a, a cakewalk of a remainder of the schedule to, that they can start to afford kind of dropping points against Brighton, who are their easiest com- competition uh, for sure. at a Bournemouth. And just a good show for a quick show for Brighton there for not dropping any point or you know obviously getting get, gaining gaining a point and not dropping any points in the position they're in was quite good for them as well. Absolutely. So yeah, exciting game there, but uh, obviously interesting to see how Leicester Leicester follow up over the next couple of weeks. Then we lead into Spurs West Ham. Brian, of course, we're going to have to go to you here. Two 0 Spurs cracking performance. West Ham again looking. Uh, weak looking like they haven't really got a lot of lot of options and and giving every Villa fan just a little glimpse of hope right now that we might not <laughs> go down because other people are or worse than you yeah. yeah you know West Ham are a really really bad side um, the first half of this game well first 35 minutes 30 35 minutes of the game Spurs didn't look great uh, they looked good enough they looked better we had way more of the ball but just didn't seem to be having that that cutting edge that you need to get 
break down a team that's kind of just sitting back. Um, they didn't really have any quality. They were just kind of pumping it up to, to try to make something happen. Uh, and, and that wasn't working for them at all. We did get lucky with that own goal. Arguably, there's a, there's a shout for a handball there, but I've watched that replay over and over again. I don't think you could say 100% that it deserves to be a handball. Um, so uh, that helped a lot. Then going into the next half, I think we just dominated the game. Giovanni, uh, Giovanni Lacelso, uh, shout out to him. Wonderful performance, probably one of the best I've seen in that fantastic position. Player. Yeah, fantastic player in that position for Spurs in a long time. That's that he's playing in like the Modric position in that that sort of sitting deep, play, uh, deep lying uh, playmaker position that Spurs haven't had. Like we, Dembele kind of went in there for Modric when Modric left, but they have played it quite differently. This is the first time we have a guy who can spray the ball like he does, and also work his work rate's insane. So, uh, oh, just shout out to him, amazing. I would say we we saw that, and that's the thing. It must have been frustrating now for. For a Tottenham fan, because we we know if you know anything about that player, Lascelles has done an incredible job. He was at, um, obviously coming from PSG before, and it was really at Real Betis uh, where Real he, where he could, this where, yeah, yeah. especially in that position. But um, and yeah. that's that's Brilliant. the thing we saw what he did in that league, and he and he was just exceptional. And then he came, and obviously there was still. For me at Spurs, there's been a real issue with rotation. They've 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 not worked out still a hundred percent that that fixed starting eleven. But we know the quality. We we just needed to see him step up to that Premier League level, and I think finally he's doing that. But, yeah, uh, I think it, I think he started to see that. If you were watching Spurs, maybe you guys didn't see it because you weren't watching Spurs regular. But the last two or three games just before the break, you started to see him ramp up, and he was getting starts, and he was running games, and you're like, holy shit, that, like he's clearly our best player right now. And then he just he's just cracked on. From that, and I think Mourinho trusts him. He's got the work rate you need to to have in that position, to, but still has the quality. And I think those attributes combined are a rare thing in a player. And and you get him in that position, you can really dictate a uh, dictate a game. And I think he did that really well. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think a great great performance and a and a wonderful result for Spurs. And fingers crossed, you guys can continue. Uh, obviously, moving forward, Man United, Sheffield. Once again, Sheffield choosing and continuing to implode. It, it has all seemed to have gone wrong there at Bramall Lane. So Man United 3, Sheffield 0. Paul, over to you here. Like Any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, it was an uh, exciting game. Bruno and Pogba seem to work, which is... Can thank Christ, honestly. Amazing. Uh, Tony Martial gets a hat-trick, which is Shocking how long it's taken somebody from United to get a hat trick. Um, I thought Rashford could have had a couple of goals. It was a surprisingly easy day. Rashford, Rashford missed a couple sitters, uh, specifically one very blatant sitter uh, that I think was just before Martial scored. But sure, yeah, he looks Com- a little, a little bit for rusty. United. He looks a little rusty. I don't think he's played he competitive uh, footy in six months. So similar to similar to Harry Kane, they they both kind of look a little bit off the pace and a little bit uh, a little bit rusty with the shots. With the exception, I think Harry looks very rusty. <laughs> yeah, probably more so. But they do; they both look rusty. They both have this similar kind of like, oh, I should have scored there. Oh, I just pushed it wide. Oh, I yank it. When you're in full form, you're in good form. Those guys finish those those chances. Sure. Yeah. They, they uh, so for me, it, it's an exciting game. Don't want to get too excited about it because uh, it does feel like Sheffield United are not the Sheffield United of pre-COVID. Um, for whatever reason, they're not playing the same way they were before. Um, and that's... I think pretty much one of the reasons why the score line was three nothing. We're not all of a sudden so much better than fifth place, sixth place Sheffield United. We're just dealing with a 
the new version of them, but it was it was a good watch. Uh, super super happy to watch a game still. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was watching a game that was a three nil win was was even more exciting. Um, but it was uh, you know just another day at the office. Hopefully, it's more of the same against the weaker teams for the rest of the season. I thought I thought uh, Sheffield looked really sharp in this game. Or sorry, um, I thought United looked really sharp going forward. You know, you talk about that relationship between Pogba and uh, Hernandez. It's really like obvious. Like it's instantly you can see the the connection going forward. Like the space that's created because there's two of them there that have the ability that they have, and what the defenses have to do against that. It's completely different because you can defend one guy and the players he might pass it to, but you can't defend two guys. And so these like these chips going over the top of the back of the defense, really clank, like nice, like stuff you see City do all the time, like just with their, the people they I have in behind. It's impressive to see their their quality and more something that, that we, I think, forget is their, their, the IQ, that footballing oh, yeah, IQ yeah, between those two yeah. players. There's no denying, Brian, that these are incredible footballers, but they the, the players like this, they just seem to read and see the game almost in ones and zeros. Like they, yeah, they, it's a different level in a different it's place. Weird. Like they, it's the same way that Paul Scholes is listed by, you know, the likes of Xavi and stuff for some of the best player he ever played against. Like these people that just, they can do things that, you and I could never even kind of comprehend, and they they, yeah. they know automatically where the person is going, where they're going to make that run, how the, because they're thinking, well, what would I do? Yeah. And when you have someone who's who's reading your intentions and making that movement, it makes things so much easier. So yeah, I think sure. yeah, a, a fantastic result, Man United, wonderful. And um, next game, uh, the less said about this, the better. Newcastle, Aston Villa, one one. Truly, truly, one of the worst games of football I, I think I've ever seen. Um, a couple of a, a couple of us watched it together, and it was uh, it was painful. It really was painful. How question that, uh, question for you, Luke? I got to ask yeah. since since this you know is on you essentially because it's your team. Is is uh, is this it for Villa? Is that is that the nail in the coffin? Do you think? I I'll say this. I'll say it's not, but not on the back of our performances. The only reason that we will s- still be in this is because. The teams around us are so West Ham bad. is shit. <laughs> West Ham is shit. Bournemouth is shit. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Norwich we know have gone. Um, and the, there's other te- you know, there's other people mixed up in this, and 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 that is the thing that will save us, I believe. But um, if if we are to be saved, but this was a massive opportunity. And let me be real frank here. Newcastle were horrendous. We we controlled controlled the play for long periods. But the problem with Villa is there's no there's no end finish. There's nothing going on. Jack doesn't look sharp. Poor old uh, John McGinn, we put, maybe put too much on him and, he, and he's just not fit yet. He's not ready. And then up front, we had a lot of hope in Samatha. He looked good before pre-COVID and, and then all of a sudden he can't seem to do it. We played 4-4-2 this time, didn't seem to make a difference. It just, there's there's a lack of desire. There's a lack of like, and, and challenging, like going for balls. Our last two goals now have been scored by defenders. El Mahamadi, who shouldn't be anywhere near a Premier League, really. And uh, and um, Courtney House. Oh, yeah. Uh, House yeah. Scored. And, it, and you just kind of left going, why are our goals being scored by defenders? It, it, it's a real problem. And if Villa don't pick up some miraculous points in one of these difficult games we've got coming up, it's going to get hard. We do have... West Ham last game of the season, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But based on that, I, I can't say I'm I'm overly confident anymore. I, I think even that game could be it. Eh? That West Ham game could be the decider. It, it really, it really it could does. be who goes up, who goes down. Like that, you know. Talk about an interesting situation because you'd be yeah. going to be right there with each other if they keep you know falling down over there. 
if we sent uh, West Ham down, I've got to be honest, we'll probably get into this another time, but there's a couple of great players I'd love to. Bowen, um, I really like. And Mick, uh, Mikel Antonio, who's been there for a couple of seasons. I player. really rate the guy. Big, strong, powerful leads. He's getting older. I think he's 30, 31, but he still looks, he's in great shape. Yeah, I know super fast. Got super fast as well. He's got pace on him as, as well. So useful player. Yeah. I, I've always liked him as well. Yeah, so so anyways, moving on, um, we won't spend long on this game. Norwich-Everton, 1-0 Everton. Not really a whole lot. Again, Norwich, I think, just affirming and, and confirming to all of us that they are they are gone. Can And it, quickly, can either of you see Norwich surviving in any way? Nope, not a, absolutely not. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> what a silly question. They're toast. <laughs> they're absolutely toast. I can see their some of their play, a few of their players getting like absolutely like uh, uh, there's there's Buendia. I think that's somebody that Paul has yeah. mentioned previously in the podcast. Great player. Like some of the stuff he does. I watched the 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 FA Cup game that they were in. It that it found them to be much better in that the, that game than they were in this game. But they've got yeah they've got some talent in there that um will get yeah. pillaged for sure. Him, and I'd be happy if Spurs took some. Pookie, yeah, right yeah, Cantwell, right. Cantwell is probably the obvious Aaron. I think uh, yeah Aaron as well yeah so there's some there's some players on that team and so they're going to struggle to even get to make their way back to the Premier League after they, they go down because it's going to be pretty brutal for them they will uh, Wolves Bournemouth Wolves with a 1-0 victory again uh, nothing nothing incredible by Wolves but at the same time they are doing what they need to do at this stage they're, they're just caving out those results one by one and uh, I don't know if you boys saw this game but Wolves dominated most of the game. Bournemouth looked sharp a couple of times, but again, Bournemouth lacking opportunity, lacking the ability to, to kind of see see that end result. And I think that is the reason that they are they are likely for the drop as well. I think the, the thing I am most struck by by watching Wolves since the break um, and the the, the, res, the resuming, the resuming of the re- play. The restart. The restart. The restart project, project, project restart. Um how one-sided are they in the the reliance of Treori for offensive output? Everything good oh. that happens in Wolves right now is happening because he's skinning guys on the right wing. And and Jimenez is scoring for sure. I want to give him credit. But when he's playing and Treori's on the bench, they're not the same team. When Treori comes on the field off the bench, it's like they're one pulled muscle away from, from being irrelevant. Like they've got nothing really going on in the attacking end. They're very good. Or, they're organized. They move the ball around nicely, but they have got nobody other than Triori making these really beautiful striker opportunities. Let's uh, be honest there, Paul, though, th- this team this season has won- how many games I'd like to look at the number. I, uh, it just seems like this is the case almost every week. It's been one nil wolves. Like they, they win one nil all the time. They, the previous their, game was one. That's their thing. So like, method I mean, they're, not, they they're not generally, generally. Yeah. They're not really scoring a ton of goals as it is. They're just, they're good enough defensively to, to maintain, you know, a, a clean sheet and then get that goal when they need it. And if it's Traore who gets it, or if it's a, a, a screamer from Neves, uh, whatever, right. and they but win 1-0, they don't really care. Before those things were distributed amongst certain players, Neves could do something, Matinho could do something, sure. Jimenez, Jota, where's the last time you heard about him doing anything? Yeah, I mean, I haven't. All of it now, all <laughs> of it is Traore. It's through Traore, yeah. In the two games that we've seen, for sure. And I completely agree. Um, it's just, it isn't much different. It's, like you said, it is just from, it was from multiple people, but it was always find a way to scrape scrape by that 1-0 win. Absolutely. And I, I think you're, you're bang on with that, Paul. Uh, Wolves obviously have something they need to work out how to change that. And I think you'd agree that they have noticed that starting Traore doesn't seem to work for them. He really is the most 
aggressive and the most efficient when they bring him on as a super sub because bringing him on in the you know 61st 62nd minute with all that power all that pace all that speed all that strength every left back is going god no everyone is going god in this heat when everybody's a little bit out of shape to have Traore come off the bench and just run at you yeah. yeah, so amazing result. Paul, next result. I'd like to pick your brains on this one. I know you had some some keen thoughts. Liverpool, Crystal Palace, uh, an emphatic Fine. win by Liverpool, four 0 Absolutely sensational. And I know you can't wait to talk about this, so Paulie. What yeah, are you are you really pumped about this bit? Paul? Yeah, I'm so pumped. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's team failed to lock up the title. Uh, so there was a little bit of excitement about maybe this will be an interesting season. Um, you know, Liverpool faced the hottest team in the Premier League, Crystal Palace, going into this game. So there was also a little bit of hope that maybe this would be a good game. Uh, if you ever want to see the utter dominance of a team saying, okay, well, let's just win this league already and walk out on stage and do the equivalent of dropping the mic, it was this performance 4 0 against Crystal Palace, four goals. Uh, is a significant number of, of goals in a game. So that might be why we're impressed. But how they went about winning this game, not since 2008 when Opta Stats started recording touches in the opponent's box, has a team touched the box less than Crystal Palace in this game. They That's weren't able to get out of their own half yeah, for an entire 90 minutes. Relentless. Liverpool are relentless in this game. It was incredible. It was, it was like... A little bit. This it was gross to watch. As you Man United fan or any fan of just a team where As you want somebody to watch who's not game. a fan of Liverpool, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. if you're a Palace fan. Stand. So Klopp's boys, uh, they did it right, and they they put themselves in a position where um, they could have uh, won the title, uh, depending on what happened in a game that we'll we'll talk to shortly. So, of course, boys, uh, Burnley-Watford, not a whole lot to talk about there. 1-0 Burnley, uh, a good win for Burnley, you could say, and, a, and another poor result for Watford. Anything you guys want to add to that? Or Yeah, I, I, I think it's the exact same thing, but uh, we can move on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on, Southampton-Arsenal, uh, 2-0 Southampton, uh, sorry, 2-0 Arsenal, and a great result, really, despite, uh, kind of considering where they've been in the league thus far and, and how they've kind of come back from uh, from COVID. So I think that's fair. Um, boys, any any thoughts? Aubameyang better start by fucking scoring some goals or I'm not going to win my golden bet. Like, <laughs> he hit the crossbar, and I, I'm just like... It's it's so easy for him to win the golden boot. If he just started scoring at his regular pace, he would run away with it at this point. Please don't. Please don't. Score I don't want a goal. I want them to finish 10th. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I would say that. enjoy that. I would enjoy that as well. But yeah, a good good result and um, Bamayang can't seem to finish. So that's that's a problem. Now, I'd say game of game of the week really here week, and a week, huge week, huge week, huge week. result. Uh, Chelsea Man City Really exciting game. Looked like it could go either way. And then just a couple of terrible, terrible individual performances from Man City. And I think we can see just the problems and, and why Man City have struggled to to kind of really challenge Liverpool this season. But lads, 2-1 Chelsea, what do we make of it? Polly? I, you know, such an entertaining game was so vested in Man City winning this so that the next game, Man City versus Liverpool, would have been a serious, the title could be decided game. Um, but Chelsea-Man City 2-1 was was a really fun watch. Um, I 
I was a little bit frustrated by a couple of things from the Man City. Um, first, it seems like this Pep Guardiola squad, for whatever reason, they're so susceptible for the counterattack. It's like a heavyweight boxer that doesn't know to cover up whenever they get in close to jab. They're just... I've seen it. Man United caught them on the counter. Chelsea caught them on the counter. But there's just some brain-dead performances going on as well. Uh, Mendy is awful. He is such a bad decision maker. He seems to have all the gifts and all the weapons to be an offensive uh, fullback in the Premier League. But his decision making is just something I don't think anybody could coach out of when you're that poor. When you when you just what were you thinking kind of moments are consistently in his game. Um, I also think this is a really good example of how Raheem Sterling's finishing this season has cost them any chance at a title. I think he was in on goal at least twice where I thought this should be a fairly simple put in. Um, that's been the story for him the entire season. He's kind of back to how he was uh, when he first came to Man City and how he was when he went to Liverpool, where out of four amazing chances, maybe one goes in. Um, and his speed and his craft are giving him those four chances. So you can't really fault him entirely. But his his ability to put the ball in that this season has been shocking. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could say it any better than Paul for like pretty much every point watching that game. I, I think I would want to give Chelsea some credit uh, as hard as that is for me. Um, I think Pulisic was fantastic again in this game. I think I think his finish on that goal, I know it was a massive error that got him in that position, but uh, that's two goals in two games for him. He's uh, he's looking like the player that they, they thought they bought. Um, when, you know, he wasn't playing that much before the break, as far as if I can rec- recall, I think maybe he played the last couple before the break, but, um, wasn't scoring a lot, but was, you know, it's kind of coming off the bench here and there, but they look good too. I think Chelsea, uh, they look, you know, Man City had most of the ball. Let's be honest. You expected that, but Chelsea looked really organized on the counter when they countered, they countered with intent and you, you thought, Oh, they, they're going to score here. Like rather than other teams who counter and kind of nothing, it just goes to nothing. That's some good chances. But, um, I do think that City lost this game rather than Chelsea winning it. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree with that. I, I will say that, though, that there's a couple of things that Man City, yes, Paul pointed out, that Sterling's finishing has obviously cost them all kinds of problems. Mendy was someone I, I commented on right at the start of the season. The poor guy has had a torrid time with injury. We know this. So bad, yeah. Even when he's come back, he's just looked two or three beats off the pace. He doesn't play with that fluidity that Man City have become kind of known for. You know, when you've got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, uh, 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 Bernardo and David Silva, you've got a great, you've got all these really intelligent players. And as you said, Mendy, he just seems to make these ridiculous decisions, which is the same reason that Otamendi hasn't worked. Otamendi, you know, for 60, 70 minutes of a game is a cracking defender, top, strong, puts in big tackles. And then he just does something dumb. And it's like, this is the reason why you're being dropped for a defensive midfielder. So I think, I think Mendy is on very short string at Man City. I think if he, if he doesn't step up soon, he'll be, he'll be sold. They, they just won't, then they're not going to sit and and waste time with him. That that's not the team they are. But I will say quickly, Chelsea, uh, as painful as it is, I have to say fair play to, to Frank. He's done an incredible job. Some of the teams now they're chasing, you know, those high up positions and with no transfers using a, a mix of kind of the youth and the players that they were able to grab. I think with those signings that we know they're making next year. I, I yeah. They're going to be a good side, man. I think they're going to be a really fantastic. good side. And I think Lampard's going to like, he's got the mentality to be a great manager. And again, as you know, I, you and I both, uh, I, I just can't stand Chelsea, but uh, they've done, they're doing something right now in a scenario where you'd expect um, things to maybe get ugly, but uh, they're, 
they, that's the opposite of what's happened. So they're also, and I don't, this is going to be like, Rich. I agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> I just want to, I want to be mindful of you compete with the teams around you. They're also doing this in a season where Man United are in a rebuild. Spurs are shit. Spurs of shit. Arsenal yeah. are no longer irrelevant. Yeah, it's true. Like, they're doing well enough, but it wasn't like what everybody makes a big deal of the kids they have. They still have Willian at the front. They still had Jorginho as one of the best midfield players. Conte, like they're still a very capable, strong side. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, he's but doing I, a good job. I, I just don't want to be like overly glorifying what he's been able to achieve when it's still a tight race for fourth. I would say I would agree with that. I would also say that the, there was a thought that maybe they'd be as bad off as Arsenal and Spurs are right now, who are, who both yeah. lost their manager, oh, yeah. who both are kind of rebuilding, but they look like they've done better than both of those those teams. So that I think there's some credit there to be given to to the club and well, probably the manager. Up, for sure, and I think he's picked up points against people that you want. I'm pretty sure he picked up points against United, now mm-hmm. City, uh, Liverpool. They picked up some points again. Like they've they've played really really well in, the, in those tough games. in the big games. Yeah, and yeah. we'll see. You know, I, I still I said at the start of the season it didn't seem to make sense to me. He finished sixth with a derby team that the year before had finished sixth and he gets the Chelsea job it, it, it all seems too too soon but you know let's see how they get on with their signings next year and, and we'll, we'll obviously readdress that conversation but oh, let's just so quickly good. look through the, the results we've had from game week 32 I just want to say before we get to the next game week <laughs> number one Chelsea did not pick up any points against Man United this season. There was a double held this year ago. Oh, there you go. Probably, that. That's why he was choking. <laughs> and because, and and only for like linear order, because this is a bit of a, a a a combination of two game weeks. It's worth calling out that the FA Cup happened on the weekend. The final four is set. Man United versus Chelsea, which is why I want to be really clear about the record Man United currently have against Chelsea and Arsenal up against Man City. So that should be an exciting, I hope, at least final four to look forward to in the FA Cup, which was that weird bridge before we get into the next game week, uh, which happened over the weekend and as it happened yesterday and it's going to happen today. Ladies and gentlemen, that was your FA Cup, FA Cup update. Ah. <laughs> the special report. <laughs> yeah, just chucking cup? it in there. Uh, yes so three games we've had so far we've obviously got United kicking off uh, with Brighton I believe in about an hour's time Uh, well as as when you listen to this it'll have been played but uh, right now three games played Villa again another loss to Wolverhampton Wanderers Again, not not nothing exciting. Wolves weren't actually that great. They they didn't. Oh right, another one nil. Imagine that. Another one nil. Yeah, well called. Who would have guessed? <laughs> but um, Villa, uh, yeah, Villa, uh, really need to pick up uh, points. We didn't actually play that bad. Kept the ball, moved the ball pretty well. But again, no, no, uh, no finishing, no option, and just just a lot of lot of issues there. So we'll we'll move away from that very quickly. You've got Watford, Southampton, and um, I really enjoyed this game for one player. And one player alone, Danny Ings. And Danny Ings is just, I, I said it, I, I could out here player. numerous times on the pod, and I've said, I, you know, I really do believe Ings is probably one of the one of the best strikers uh, that England have right now. He would have gone to the Euro 2020 based on his goal scoring record. He, I don't, I don't, I will go as far as saying in the Premier League right now, I don't think there's a better person to have in front of a goal than Danny Ings. I, I honestly believe Danny Ings is the best goal scorer in the Premier League right now. He he the the opportunities and chances he takes, he is such a natural goal scoring upfront player and and with the likes of you know uh, Aguero picking up injuries in and out and and Bamayang unfortunately not able to kind of like to pick up uh, Kane obviously still not back at 100%. Danny Ings has come back and he doesn't seem to have slowed down. He doesn't seem to have stopped. He's an incredible player, and if you haven't got him in the fantasy, get him in that. 
Yeah, I, I, I'd have to agree. Like, the Ings is incredible. And I think uh, from a form perspective, he's absolutely the best finisher right now. I don't think there's a better player with chances created uh, and goals scored better than him in the league. Uh, he's, he's challenging for the golden boot as well. He's, he's, I forget how many he's on. I think 14 or 15 or something like that. Um, great player. I think the, the, the big thing about this game that we need to recognize is, is this is Watford team is now that they've lost two in a row coming back into this. And they're right into that in that, uh, that battle down in the bottom there. 28 points they've got. Uh, the four team or three teams below them are on twenty seven. We know, we all know Norwich is out, but they're right in the mix now. I mean, this gives this gives Villa, Bournemouth, uh, and West Ham all a little bit of hope that Watford could be going down as well. I mean, being on a one point difference with those four teams, you're you're looking at a pretty messy situation. That if you just win one game, you you well, could this, get out of it. You know, like thing. it's that it's that tight. You know, one well, game, and you're like, all right, now we're we're fine. <laughs> There's always been that idea that 40 points is that is that golden number to, to yeah, stay. Yeah. And honestly, I, I would go as far as saying that I think 33 or 34 might keep you up this year. This might be the lowest ever. I, I'd like to look into that, what the lowest is so far. Maybe one of us can do that before the end of the pod, but... It is so close and so tight that uh, who knows what's going to happen. But I think well, I think Watford are in trouble. A lot of trouble. Absolutely. And just to pick up on the point you made previously, Danny Ings is currently sat on 18 goals. 18? Oh, shit. 18, oh, yeah, because he's just, just scored two. one behind Jamie Vardy and one ahead of Salah and Bama Yang and then two ahead of Aguero. So, so you, your, point, your point is proven 100% just on that. Yeah, there it is. You know, he's, he's absolutely exceptional. But uh, Cautionary tale for anybody looking to pick him up for your fantasy, though. Look at the fixture list he has coming up. It's, they don't have an easy run in for sure. They're one of the That's always players. a thing with strikers. And Danny Ings, Absolutely. I think, has played above uh, expectation for fixtures. Like he still manages to pop him in against opponents this season that he probably is unexpected to do so because his form has been so strong. I mean, 18 goals. And I think he had the first quarter of the season. He was not really a regular. He wasn't playing well. But as soon as he hit his run of form um, that he's been able to maintain for, for a significant period of time, he's been pretty fixture proof. Um, yeah. But it is a difficult fixture list. And he is probably going to be a pretty heavy investment by everybody in fantasy. So if you're looking to, to pull away from somebody or catch up for somebody, just keep that in mind. And that was Polly yeah. with your fantasy football moment. And last game, just to, to give you an update on obviously Crystal Palace nil, Burnley won. Another one nil victory from Burnley. That they're just good at that. Sean Dyche does that well. He kind of he kind of grins and bears and gets through, but uh, you know, a great victory against uh a Crystal Palace that started well. Obviously, the last two weeks have not been kind. Now four 0 loss to Liverpool. Now one 0 loss to Burnley. Yeah, I mean and they had caught they had caught Spurs. Uh, they were on the same points as Spurs yeah. before the the previous game week, and now they look like uh, I mean it's not like they've blown them out of the water or anything, but they just look like they don't look like the team that was going to catch potentially catch you know seventh and eighth place. And somebody please rescue Wilfred Zaha from that team. <laughs> I don't know. I think he deserves that team. I you know I, I, think, I know I do as well. I think I think, I think he's in the right he's on the right team. I think if his attitude was better and he stood up more and he didn't you know, dive as much as he did. And he wasn't a whiner because he's such a, he whinges about everything. Yeah. Um, I'd be, uh, I'd, I'd say that he's got the talent, he's got the quality, but he's not, he's at the right place. Yeah, uh, I, no, I, he's I, so I, much I better than Crystal Palace. They're so, they, they waste him. They just, they park him on the left. He wastes a lot though himself. Uh, and so I, that's why I, I put him in that position. I, I put him on that. He's also very wasteful. I could see him if, if you could get his attitude into a, uh, into question, then, 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 yes, I think there is there's a real potential for him to be a, a, a fantastic player. But yeah, for now, we'll see. We'll see what happens at the end of the season. But anyways, that is that is our results, boys. That's our that's our games. 
Shit, and then we've got the next one, uh, the, the the Man United, Brighton Hove. Do we, Paul, you got anything you're excited about this game? You, you expect to win? Just a quick one. Don't have to get uh, into it because nobody's going to listen to this before that comes on. At time of recording, it's 2 o'clock on, uh, uh, what is today, Tuesday? So it's going to be, be on excited, in, though, in an hour. I'm excited, but these games are always like, uh, you know, Brighton, they're, my, they're probably my favorite center back pair. You guys struggle to break these types of teams down, though. Don't, so be and, uh, but you got the players now to do it, or at least that midfield, if that's who he plays. Yeah, so I'm always nervous because I go into it knowing full well what their center backs are capable of doing and how hard we have a time of um, that parking the bus kind of mentality. There, That always makes me a bit nervous, but at the same time, that's a game where I feel like we have the quality to break it down. Um, but it's it, there's no easy game in the Premier League, and, and they have recently shown how good they are at parking the bus um so that's that's a little bit nerve-wracking but i'm still at the point right now where i'm relishing even the feeling of being a little nervous before a game because it's so i've missed this feeling and the sensation so much that i'm just like whatever like whatever i wanted to ask i felt like it's just yeah it's that moment of like oh they're playing today like i spurs haven't played since you know what was it yeah it just feels like it's been forever, but because there was a, one game after the other, they sure. had, I think they had five or six days in between, and then we're going to play six games or three games in six days, which should yeah. Be and I, I we have Canada Day weekend coming up, and I can't, I'm going to be taking like a little bit of a break off. So all I'm going to do is watch as much football as possible and drink as much as possible and, and be very happy. <laughs> so what, I support what that decision because nothing says Canada Day like belligerent levels of alcohol use and English football. And English yes, sir. Well done, sir. Well done, um, sir. So let me be the first to say it, uh, like little golf clap, little round of applause for Klopp's team for winning the title. Well done, Jürgen. performance. We're gonna we're gonna get into a little bit of a a, a segment that uh, in in. So here's the deal. Obviously, I'm a Man United guy. So for oh, me, th- this is like a car crash happened. I look at this as going well. How was this car crash allowed to happen? And then it's it's. You have to go back into the wreckage and see where where were the mistakes that the world allowed this to happen. That's how I see Liverpool winning <laughs> so the title. <dramatic. laughs> like this is something that surely to God we can't allow this to happen again. So uh, we did, we did a bit of a dig into um, the forces at play that that led to Jurgen Klopp winning a title with Liverpool for the first time in thirty years in the Premier League, their first ever Premier League title, um, and. There's some surprising bits of information that we're going to share with you, the audience, and you, Brian, because you don't know what we're about to say. Um, I know. I'm excited about this. And there's some stuff that's pretty obvious. Like, again, like it's not going to be a big deal that they hire Klopp. Everybody knows without Klopp, there would be no title. Uh, Van Dyke um, is the best available center back on the planet. So we, we dug a little bit deeper than the surface realizations uh, and hopefully there's some, uh, there's some learning to be had. So to go back to what happened when Manchester city lost to Chelsea, giving the title to Jurgen Klopp, you have to go back to uh, 2014 and even a little bit before 2014. So 2014, Brendan Rodgers leads Liverpool uh, and is a slip away from the title for the first time. And at that point, it would have been something like 25 years. Uh, Stevie G famously slips on a side that has Suarez and has Raheem Sterling and were real, real contenders. What follows after that is about 18 months of just slump. Um, Brendan Rodgers has a real hard time replicating that form. Um, star players like Suarez pack up their bags. Raheem Sterling basically says, I want to win. It'll never happen at Liverpool. I'm off to Man City. And then 2015 rolls around. And in October, Jurgen Klopp is hired and Brendan Rodgers is fired. 
and Klopp enters the scene and he basically says very clearly, we have to move our skeptics to believers and it has to happen now. Jurgen Klopp comes with high pedigrees coming from Bruce and Dortmund. And all you can say about this guy is that it's been five or six years and his presence is still felt at Bruce and Dortmund now. They still talk about how much of a mistake it was to let him go. His his aura and mystique in a very short period of time is almost akin to what Ferguson did at Man United. They still talk about him in the same breathy manner. Um, I think most Dortmund fans are actually Liverpool fans in some way because they love him so much. He's a guy who brings a really high tempo style of football that is maybe not quite right for the Premier League initially. Um, he's a guy who, who, makes players run through walls for him. He's just this leader of men who has this vision of how the game should be played, um, but is able to get more out of a player than anybody probably has the right to do, which is again, a very Alex Ferguson kind of approach. This, this man management skill set he has, and he's got a very clear vision of what he wants his football to be. It's high octane. It's, it's running your ass off. So when we start talking about, how do we get to this point where they uh, they win a title? I think the first thing that has to be realized is that Jurgen Klopp did not hit the ground running. Jurgen Klopp was, from all accounts, a, a bit of a slow starter uh, for the hype that he brought into the league. In his first season, they finished in eighth position, and they were 21 points behind first place. They did go to two cup finals, but they lost two cup finals. In the next two seasons, they finished the league in fourth. No cup finals, um, and they're finishing in fourth, but they're still miles off the pace, 17 points and 25 points. At this point, there's questions about the Klopp style of play and whether or not it could be sustained in the Premier League because his players burn out. They always seem to have a very late-in-the-league uh, fixture, late-in-the-season slump, and it's it's almost like their legs have gone dry because the way he has them running up and down the field for an entire season in the Premier League is just too much. So there's some discussions about whether or not he's the right manager, but this is all kind of paved over when he gets them to go to the Champions League final in his third year, and they lose the Real Madrid in a game that maybe a concussion to a keeper is probably the real reason why they lost to Real Madrid. So he's probably pretty safe in his third year. He goes into his second year, and this is where things just, all credit has to be to the club and the board. They kept faith with him at this point because this is where results really start compiling up. This is where Pochettino got fired, basically. Not like yes, this close is, to it. Close if to it. A, if there's a parallel where other clubs maybe lost the plot and lost the patience for their manager, yeah, it would be one would of be, them. Would, would be the equivalent. Yeah. Um, but in his fourth year, they finished second. They're obviously they're obviously competing with Man City at this point for the title. But they do go back to the Champions League final and they do win it this time. And then obviously we know what happens this year. They're not going to win the Champions League, but they finally win the league for the first time in 30 years. So this is all to say. His success wasn't immediate. The club and the board had to back him. They had to give him a bit of time. They had to not panic when they finished in eighth and then two years successively in fourth. They had to say, we're going to stick by this man. We're going to stick by his vision. And I don't think a lot of clubs did that before. And I don't think they they did that with Brendan Rodgers before. So there had to be a real, this is our guy decision by, by all those powers that be at Liverpool. So the second thing we have to talk about, which is kind of unbelievable when I dug into this and I was really starting to get a sense of this might be one of the most significant reasons why they were able to become champions this year. And it goes back even further uh, than the 
the, the clops time is how I'll describe this. I'm going to call this self-propelled transfer funds, meaning they've spent a lot of money very smartly, very wisely recently, but still a lot of money. And that's not necessarily status quo when it comes to Liverpool. So where did this money start coming from? Was it a, a case of an owner just coming in and saying, you know what, I'm going to heavily invest some of my own funds and we're going to turn this into a championship contending team? Or was there some other source to it? I can look through the numbers and tell you that there was about 300 million raised just from profit of of selling players on. Luis Suarez was sold on at a profit of 56 million. Sterling was an academy player at a profit of 64 million. Coutinho, who I will talk about in, in great length, was a profit of 132 million. Danny Ings made them 40 million, 14 million when they sold him on. Solanch was a a nothing. He still is a nothing player, and they still made 21 million off an academy player that they sold on. Sacco was a garbage center back that couldn't crack their lineup, and they managed to sell him on for a profit of 10 million. Add up all these kind of these numbers, and you get the 300 million that they immediately invested into the right players, regardless of their price tag. And that was one of the significant reasons why they were able to build what is a, an incredible squad, a title contending squad. So there really has to be an identification that, that there was some smart sales going on, but also it's almost like a poker hand. Like this was a good run of luck in a poker game. The fact that they were able to make this kind of money off some of these players. Yeah, it's impressive. For sure. I just a point I'd like to add to that, Paul, and I'd love to get your idea on this is that, you know, I think what we've seen in the last, let's say 15, 20 years in football is a weird power shift dynamic where a lot of decisions in regards to who is signed is not being made by the manager anymore there's you've got these sporting directors and these and these uh, director of footballs and and there's a lot of conversation a lot of managers coming out over the years and saying this is a problem that they had now one thing when i was when i was doing some uh, kind of reading back on this and and you've got some great points here the whole balance and, and what a lot of people akin the success of liverpool to is the relationship that klopp has has been able to to come to with fenway sports group now Back when Brendan Rodgers was still managing Liverpool, that was a big issue. So he, as a manager, really pushed for the signing of a striker that they deep down didn't think, and and uh, despite him him believing, would work at Liverpool, and that was Christian Benteke. Whereas at the same time, they, as a sports group, had pushed and, and had basically guaranteed the signing of Robert Firmino, who, as we can see, has been an incredible uh, addition to that squad and a real part of that trio dynamic up front, holding up the play, allowing Mane and, and Salah to feed off him. So um, just a quick quote that I thought was was perfect. Klopp said in, uh, in 2016, for me, it is enough to have the first and the last word, the middle we can discuss. I'm not a genius. I don't know more than the rest of the world. I need other people to get perfect information. And I think that is, that is exactly why Klopp has succeeded, based on, especially based on what you've just said. Yeah, um, I think that segues into my next point. Uh, truthfully, somebody offering you way more than you should get for a player is not necessarily somebody respecting Klopp as a manager. That's just somebody working the boardroom and maybe having an air of salesmanship or taking advantage of what is probably a stupid decision on the part of whoever said that Crystal Palace really needed to spend 28 million on Sacco, for example. Um, I think if we get into the next point, 
which is probably more what you're talking about, which is that they've, they were able to find some shocking value in the transfer market. And when I dug into this, this is where it gets a little bit weird because there's shocking value in that nobody saw uh, Patrice ever being a great man United player because nobody knew who he was and he ended up being fantastic and he, they paid very little for him. But Liverpool did it a different way in that they found shocking value on players that everybody in the league should have known was going to work out. 2016, they bought Sadio Mane for 34 million pounds. Sadio Mane was a proven goal-scoring winger in the Premier League. He was he'd been, pursued. He'd been, un, he'd been unproven in the Premier League, though, I'd say. Like he, no, he, he he killed it in the Southampton. If you don't, Southampton, if you don't was think incredible. he's proven... He had a suit of like he w- was pursued by Man United. The reason why he didn't want to go there was because I think LVG was a, a scary like proposition for him at the time, or Marino, one of those two. But he was definitely a, a a known entity in the Premier League, and to go for thirty four million for when he was as good as he was at that time is a steal. So that's that's crazy that they were able to get him. He's perfect for their system. He's worked out really well for for them as a player, but to get him for 34 million is nuts. They go and get Salah for the same price, 34 million pounds. Salah scores 44 goals in 52 games at Roma. Roma, yeah. As a winger, and his price tag is 34 million, that's crazy. And the only reason why nobody wanted to take a real leap of faith on purchasing him for for a ridiculously low sum of money is that because he didn't quite work out in the Premier League when he played for Chelsea under Jose Mourinho. That's not that much of a gamble if you look at Jose Mourinho's style of management and the time between Chelsea and when he was scoring for fun at Roma. To get him for that price tag is crazy. Again, they identified the player that would be perfect for the system but to get him for that cheap is fundamentally just a great run of luck. That's why I liken it to a, a, a game of poker. Robertson cost them six million when they got relegated from Hull. Robertson for six million, yes, he played for Hull and Hull's defensive record was poor. But his crossing ability, the stats behind his ability to put the ball in the box, that was known to everybody in the league. For them to get him for a measly six million is ridiculous. Joe Gomez for three million is the center back of the future for Liverpool. That's like it's, it's crazy. And this is just, this is, you know, somebody has to identify these players. Somebody has to approach the Cubs to make the offer. Somebody has to work with Klopp to get these players into the system. So that's, that's the relationship you're talking about. But to get these kind of prices is a run of, I can only describe it as luck or fate or good fortune. And that's a big part of the reason why we're talking about them as being uh, championships today. The other has to be said, key masterful stroke of luck that the football gods gave to Klopp and this particular group is that their academy apprived, their academy provided out of nowhere, possibly the world's best right back from relative obscurity three years ago to the conversation about this young Trent Alexander-Arnold being, if not the best right back on the planet, then being the best offensive right back on the planet is crazy. I don't think they win the title this year. Maybe, maybe not, but I don't think they win the title this year without him. You're talking about a guy who is masterful at the offensive arts of being a right back and is also one of the league's best dead ball specialists. Do you yeah, have I was just going to say he's got a cracking, cracking dead ball as well. Do you have that come into your from your academy? Do you have that come for free? 
and to have it come at a time where he really is that finishing touch to the squad, that unexpected gift from your academy, it's it's crazy. It's it's one of those things where you have to almost put your hand up to to the football gods and say, "There you go, you've given it to them." Speaking of football gods, Mr. David Condry appeared out of nowhere. Do you have an opinion on this? Uh, I do actually. I, I think if you look at that. 2015 to 2018 timeline and they keep they kept making Firmino, Mane, Salah but to Paul's point and and to kind of expand it a little bit as they got better and other teams saw how good they were and and that kind of you know trajectory they were on the prices got higher right because for me then they added that key piece in central defense with Virgil van Dijk but then they lose in the Champions League final, and the final piece of the puzzle um, is Allison. But the prices got higher. But that's not my point right now. My point is, Paul, seeing you bring in these these prices, these players for really low prices. I guess my question is, how much of that is those players and those prices, and how much of it is Klopp making them better players? Uh, that's a deep question that I don't know we have time for. I'll be honest. But, uh, but I'm saying, I don't think Welcome it's the just pump. as easy as that, right? It's Connie, got, Connie, oh, Connie comes Connie, on with a big question. Connie missed the whole 15 minute answer. <laughs> no, 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 but I'll, I'll throw this for Connie really quick. We don't have time, Paul, but this is another quote that I thought will answer and goes to what you've just said, Connie. Dejan Lovren in 2015 in November, towards so the, start the, uh, the new season kind of going forwards, in describing Klopp to the media, he said, he's your friend, but he's not your best friend. And that is a perfect. A kind of description of how the players respect and how they understand the power dynamic between themselves and Klopp. And we've seen that during the Champions League final, during all the games running up in the Premier League. Well, he, uh, those difficult games, Klopp is on. He's hugging one player and he's and he's chewing another out. He knows how to man-manage individual players yeah. and personalities. So I think that exactly speaks to the point you were making. Yeah. And it, and it might have been all over the place, but I, just, I was just kind of like tangenting off on what Paul was saying. But back to you guys. That's what you love to hear. Tangents in a set 10 minute special. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's what happens last, when, uh, when you get your, when your, your force to show up. The last Wild point top. is, um, is a, it's again, there's a certain, and I, I, I recognize I'm a Man United fan. And a lot of what I'm saying is suggestion that there, there's a lot of luck to these elements falling into place at the right time. And I, I kind of just think that's how football works. Um, I'm not trying to take anybody, uh, away from Klopp's ability to manage these players, but there are certain developments that you just cannot ignore. The fifth point I'm going to make is that you might as well say that this title is brought to you by Barcelona. Barcelona essentially funded the fact that Liverpool are champions. Barcelona in January decided that Philip Coutinho would be worth 145 million pounds. Was it the pounds same, or euros for that? Was it pounds? Yeah. Who cares? Uh, not the that same window, a shit ton of money. <laughs> the same window, the, wait, within days of that a deal happening, they go off, Liverpool and Klopp go off and get their missing piece. They get Van Dyke for 85 million. They make it to the Champions League uh, final and they don't quite make it because the keeper is, is a gong show. So with the remaining funds, they go off and get the best available keeper, Allison, for $62 million. From the sale of Coutinho, on two world-class players, Liverpool spent $2 million that wasn't covered by the sale of just one player. What's ridiculous, though, because that math might, might not mean anything, but what's ridiculous is why in the hell would Barcelona spend that kind of money on Philip Coutinho, it remains the biggest mistake 
in Barcelona history. Barcelona fans remain vigilant that the president of Barcelona needs to be removed from office. And they always refer to the fact that Bayern Munich's on loan, Philip Coutinho is the walking, breathing epiphany of why he should not be in charge of Barcelona anymore. That horrendous mistake funded everything that Liverpool arguably needed to get to that next level and and become a team that's destined to either win the Premier League or challenge for the Champions League moving forward. And it's it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, it's not the first time Barcelona have done that, though. You look at, you know, even when they when they sold Neymar, the, the money they sold, who did they bring in? Dembele? He has not worked out. It, like, it, it speaks true to that point, but yeah, that's fair. No, that, that right. Dembele and Coutinho money, it, it's it's uh, it's a snowball effect. That's all from Neymar, but Paul's right. that Those funds, which they spent on a player who was a bust, Liverpool took that money, reallocated it, and made 10 out of 10 signings with Van Dyke and Allison, and, and those were the final pieces. Brilliant yeah. by Liverpool. Absolutely, and uh, well-deserved champions, uh, you know, sadly, for, for the rest of us. <laughs> but uh, they, were, they, were, they were the best side by far. There's a lot of reasons. And they've done uh, a lot really well. Sorry, go There's ahead. a lot of reasons why they're one the league this year. Uh, these, are the, these are the deeper, not as obvious as Klopp's a great manager or they have great like players playing at the highest level. Like that's, You need that no matter what, to win the Premier League. But these are the kind of below the surface, maybe you forgot about these kind of interesting things I thought contributed to the title this year. I think my last point, which would be a real quick one, um, Man City's wheels fell off this season. And that's that's not taking anything from Liverpool, but honestly, Man City, two years in a row, win the title. The wheels just completely fell off this season and gave a real clear run to the, the, the title for Liverpool. Do you okay? So with that point, Paul, I want to I want to ask you a quick question. I think people are interested to know: Is there a very quickly? Do you think this can be done again? Because obviously, people saw that the the value of certain players was not right. That's why Roma charged so much for Allison because they'd they'd obviously given such a cut price deal on on Salah, who ended up being so fantastic. So, do you think this model at Liverpool could be replicated? I, I think there's so many elements of of things working exactly right so many things that had to go right for them to get to this point that I think it's uh, it would be a very difficult model for anybody to follow. Like saying invest smartly in players that will work for your system. That's everybody tries to do that. Nobody knows if it's going to work out or not, but they had sure. so much funds coming to them from places that they wouldn't normally get funds that they, they could afford the occasional uh, misstep. Um, they can afford to buy Kepa, and have him not quite work out. Like there, there was opportunities for them to buy players that didn't work out uh, because of all these things I've just listed. Um, so I don't know that there's much that anybody can really learn from the what happened and how they built this club. It, it, it's just one of those things where they were very quick to take advantage of what the market gave them. Okay. All right, fellas. Well, let's uh, let's move on from that um, wonderful uh, the bit about Liverpool, the champions of the league. I hate to describe it every second of Europe. <laughs> um, all right, so we got some we got some games to, to quickly talk about for the, the upcoming games. Luke, did you want to kick us off with the next fixtures that we're going to do a little preview on? Uh, we can definitely have a look at the next fixtures. Do we want to talk about the ones that are kind of still going on this this game week, or do we kind of how do we how do we want to sit with those? I think we're starting with the Everton Leicester game, correct? On uh, July first, which would be tomorrow. Yeah, so we can we can start with a couple of those. So let's work our way through July first. So we have obviously Leicester Everton, a big game, obviously big opportunity for Leicester to to kind of obviously start picking up points. Everton not playing too bad, guys. What do we think? Very quickly. 
Yeah, I just think they're dead even as as far as like uh, odds are concerned. I, I could see this finishing like a boring nil nil, <laughs> and and both have been not matter to Everton and matter a lot to Leicester. I, I think kinda, the opposite. I actually think Everton are going to take Leicester. I think I think Leicester don't really have any pressure. And you know, I didn't anyone, say any, I said they were they were going to draw. I didn't say that uh, that Everton were going to win. And I'm saying the opposite. I say Everton take this. I think Leicester need to give themselves a shake. Uh, Jamie Vardy hasn't shown up. The, the whole entire Leicester team. I think they're one of the teams that are taking their time getting back into the rhythm. I like Leicester to win this one. I don't know, Paul. What do you think? Uh, my gut says our, our Everton, but. Uh, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Well, that's that's a real good reason for people to listen to. (laughs) So much good information. Am I I the only one who realizes we have three minutes left? No, I've been saying it. Put put my fingers up for the last like uh, Uh, ten minutes. Well, (laughs) okay, going through very quickly. Arsenal Norwich. I think that's a one-way result, or is it? Arsenal could could Norwich pick up a quick point? Yes or no? Very quickly. No. Yeah. No, that's Arsenal. There we go. Okay. Bournemouth, Newcastle. Uh, do you know what? If you've got no other plans, uh, I'd still not watch this game. That sounds incredibly boring. There are two no, other games on at the same time, which are both going to be um, much better than this game. Yeah. Absolutely. So give that a mess. Uh, West Ham, Chelsea. West Ham desperately in need of picking up some points, but again, not really doing anything. I can't see anything different than a Chelsea victory here. I'm going to say I'm going to say a 2-0. No. I'm just going to throw a prediction out there. Okay. Any, I, think it's, I think it's comfortable for Chelsea. I think their form is great. I think they're coming up against a very bad West Ham side at the moment. West Ham failed to score in three games. Yeah, they're poor oh, shit. That's painful. Villa have scored, but not been good. Uh, Sheffield, Tottenham. Um, this is a big game. I think this is, is a lot is a to be said game. about this. Um, I, I'm just going to quickly give my opinion on it. I think we've talked about this already earlier about Sheffield, and they're, they're, they're kind of losing the the, this, the the sort of sweepstakes that comes with the way this the, this being played out as far as the, the squad depth is concerned. Um, Spurs came off a, a pretty solid win. I think uh, Sheffield are going to struggle in this game and are going to drop uh, even further down the table. Sheffield United will Brian? be lucky, lucky if they get a shot. They've had three shots in the last three games. Yeah, it's, it's just Spurs are going to run run ragged all over them. It's going to be. We agree, and then also City will be giving the guard of honor to Liverpool, and I think ironically, City are going to pump them because Liverpool have won the title. They're not worried. They're not playing for pride. That's my take on this one. What do you guys think? Quickly. I think you're wrong. I, I, I think Liverpool have shown that even with their squad rotation, they've they've just got such quality. And I guess it should be a fun game. Yeah, and didn't City just have a man sent off as well against Chelsea? So they're without a player there. Well, here's right. the thing. You want to talk about Manchester City? Breaking news, transfer news. £54.8 million Bayern Munich have purchased Leroy Sané from Manchester City. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a massive impact. Bernardo Silva, Sterling, Phil Foden. Is this guy going to be a huge miss, guys? What do you think? No, their so. problems are. I think their problems are in defense. I think they certainly c- could have used him this season, but I don't think that's why they finished twenty the, the, as far back from Liverpool as they did. Uh, I think it was a defensive issue, not an offensive issue, and I think they've got enough going forward. I think he's one of the most talented young left wingers on the planet, and I think they just sold him for what is got to be reco- like. That's such a bargain bucket. That's it's a COVID. Bargain. It's COVID. It's COVID pricing. I think that's what we're seeing in the situation. If it's I can only also say like for him, this for Bayern Munich. Like yeah. imagine Bayern Munich right now, Alfonso Davies on the left and Sané playing in front of him. And and not to that make this whatever, insane. <laughs> Leroy Sané is a much better player than Jaden Sancho. So if this is dictating the market. Then that tells me that Sancho's fifty or less. Sorry, it's good for, it's good for you guys. If I don't yeah. think, I don't think not I'd have to agree. I'd have you to agree. actually think Jaden Sancho is a better player than Leroy Sané? 
I no, I, I don't. But I, I think you're being a little bit uh, naive in thinking that this is because of that. I think we know that Sané has had problems with City. We know that he wanted, he refused to sign a new contract, and this was a hey, what can we get for him? Yeah. S- Sancho, the rumors coming out, Sancho is ready to do another year at, at Dortmund. Now, whether that's true or not, I think there's no way he'll go for less than that. No way. We'll see. All right, lads. Well, it's been a pleasure, Connie. Glad you made it in the end. You got lucky with our technology failing on us a couple of occasions. Get, your, get yourself in there for some for some chats. Luke uh, and his dial-up roundup internet. Yeah, talk, talk, talk. Slid in like a Roy Keane tackle. Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to the North End Podcast. We'll be back next week. Bye. 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 This is the North End.